Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're here to serve you in any way that we can. For more information about our resources or our church, you can check out hope at crossroads.org. Online, you can find access to other resources like devotionals and study books. Thanks again for joining us. And now let's start this week's message. I remember... Believe it or not, 30 years ago, looking out the blinds of a little townhouse I lived in and watching this beautiful brunette pull into the parking place right outside, and uh, she got out of there and walked to her front door, and I thought, ooh, I got to get to go know her, and uh I was so poor after making a down payment on that townhouse that I could not afford any food. I had a bunch of yucky furniture my mom and dad had passed on to me that they did not want uh, that was sitting in the den. And so I had, uh, some of you heard this story before, I had the beanie weenies in the cabinet uh, but could not even afford an electric can opener, so I thought, I will go next door, and that will be my pickup line. I will ask this beautiful foxy brunette, can I borrow a can opener? It must have worked. Uh, And uh, for the next couple of years, um, I uh, figuratively wined and dined her and um, loved her and tried to serve her and please her and take her everywhere and take her to her favorite restaurants. And I was thinking this morning about that as we were worshiping. And church, I wonder if some of us used to be like that with Jesus, but maybe we have been married to him so long, figuratively, that in our familiarity we have forgotten what it was like on those early days. My prayer for our church is that we will be a church that reaches out and reaches people and loves people and that we will be a church who's hungry for God's word and that we will be a church who's hungry for worship. And uh, I have challenged our new worship leader as he is doing a great job to continue to teach us, to teach me what it means for us to worship. Because by the way, just so you know, spoiler alert, When we get to the other side, that is what we will be doing. So this is like heaven practice. So I just want to encourage you when you are on your way to church uh, on Sunday morning to just offer up a quick prayer. It doesn't have to be lengthy or using eloquent words, but just say, God, prepare my heart for worship because it's not all up to the worship team and the pastor to help you engage in worship. It's a personal issue as well. So just felt led to share that with you today. And that's for me too, because uh, sometimes we can know the Lord so long that it gets monotonous. Our worship gets monotonous and not fresh. So let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning as we look at your word, would you give us a freshness in our relationship with you? Would you give us a freshness about your word? A newness, a reminder of who we were before Jesus. 
And that we would be so eternally grateful, much like we were that moment that we said yes to you. And for most of us probably in this room who have done that, we can, we can hopefully reflect back to how excited we were and how on fire we were. And maybe this morning, if we look back at that and say, wow, what happened? Would you help us to make personal adjustments in our life that would draw us back to our first love? As we look at your word this morning, I pray you'd speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would open your Bible to Romans chapter 7, and while you're turning there, uh, let me say thank you to uh, Heath for preaching last week. I am so grateful that we have uh, another pastoral staff member that uh, knows how to preach God's Word and share God's Word, and I am wonderfully uh, privileged to uh, work with our staff, and I appreciate Heath sharing last week. And so uh, as we look at Romans chapter 7... This morning, let's just dive in. I was thinking about this chapter, and uh, Brandon mentioned this. Uh, over the last few chapters, the first few chapters of Romans, we've talked a lot about the law, and we have talked a lot about uh, being dead to sin. And it made me think of the story. A young business owner was opening his new branch office, and a friend of his decided to send this beautiful floral arrangement to celebrate the grand opening of his new branch office, and the friend went to show up to celebrate. And when he got there, he was appalled because the flowers that he had sent and the wreath of flowers that he had sent bore this inscription, Rest in Peace. He was very angry and upset, and he started to complain to the florist, and the florist uh, said to him, Well, look at it this way. Somewhere, a man was buried under a wreath today that said, Good luck in your new location. (laughs) So I'm thinking about All these chapters, we've been talking a lot about death and uh, being dead to sin. What does that mean? So let's just uh, jump into chapter 7. Paul says this, Do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she's joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, so that she's not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Let's stop right there, and I'm going to stop along the way just to point out some things. It's interesting that right in the beginning of this chapter, Paul uses an illustration that most of us are familiar with, and that is the illustration of marriage. And he tries to use this illustration basically in a sense saying, till death do us part, to say to us as believers that death is what frees us from the law. And it's talking about spiritual death here. As believers, we know that we're dead to sin, and we've talked about that in previous chapters, but now he's turning the page a little bit, and he's saying we're also dead to the law. So the first point this morning is simply that. You and I, as believers in Jesus, are dead to the law. We don't live by the law anymore. Some of us sometimes do live by the law. We're going to talk about that this morning. But we're not supposed to live by the law. We are free from the law. As a matter of fact, he goes on and says that, verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined. It's that same kind of word he used in the, the uh, couple of verses that he started the chapter, talking about marriage, that you might be joined to another, to him, to Christ, who is raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having 
died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Now let's just stop. You may be like me going, whoa, 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 what, what? That's a lot of stuff. What's he saying? And you'll know by now that when you see the word therefore, you ask what therefore is therefore. In verse 4, he says therefore. What is he saying? He's saying in light of the fact that you and I as believers are dead to the law, there's some things that we should know. And we're dead to the law because we are married to somebody else. We're spiritually married to Jesus. We are in that relationship with him. And so why are we in that relationship? Why are we dead to the law? He gives us two practical things that he says to us in verse 4. The first one is he says, so that, my translation says so that, some versions say in order that we may be married to another. What's he saying? Church, don't miss this. Here's what he's saying. He's saying to you and I as believers, we don't have to worry about so much to be consumed by every jot and tittle of the law. We should be more concerned about relationship, much like, again, our marriage. I can do things that all of a sudden in my relationship with my spouse are just, I'm trying to do things just to do things, and I actually can forget the relationship and just be going through the motions of, of executing tasks. And oftentimes that's what believers sometimes get caught in that trap of doing. I grew up in a generation where when you showed up for Sunday school, some of you did too, you had the little checklist. You're here, wow, check, good job. You brought your Bible, wow, check, good job. You brought your offering, uh, offering envelope, wow, check, good job. You brought your, you, you memorized your scripture verse, check, good job. None of those things are bad, by the way. But if all of a sudden we equate in our mind that, wow, when we check all those off, we have right standing before God, we have totally missed what the entirety of the Bible teaches us. We can never check off enough things on our list to stand right before God. What makes us stand right before God? We just sung about it this morning. The grace of Jesus Christ. The grace of Jesus Christ. And yet we can get caught up in that because we live in a world where every other function of society operates that way. Our job operates that way. Our school operates that way. Academics, athletics all operate with, well, you've got to achieve this, do this, achieve these things, check these things off the list. And Paul is telling us if we start to do that and we ignore the relationship with the living God, we have totally missed out on why Jesus came. Because Jesus came to free us from that because we are dead to the law. So he brought about uh, this death to the law so that, he says in verse 4, we might be married to another, we might have a relationship. But he also says, so that, or in order that, we might bear fruit. In other words, don't miss this. In other words, you and I can do those things on the task list. And I can check off those things and my wife might kind of look at me going, wow, why is he doing all this? And that might produce some fruit in our relationship. But if I just do those things not out of duty, but because I love her, there's much more fruit there. And the same applies to us in our relationship with Jesus. When we're just doing the things that we do out of our relationship with him, then we can bear great spiritual fruit, he says. It's interesting because Paul carefully explained in the last chapter that we died with Jesus and we rose with him. And he only spoke in the last chapter that he shared with us last week about our death to sin. And now he's explaining that when we die to sin, we also die to the law. Some of us may fall into this trap. I know I do from time to time and think, well, yeah, I was saved by grace, but now I got to live by the law to please God. No, 
No. You and I can't live according to the law. All, if we stack up all the things that the Bible tells us to do, and that's what we have to abide by, all these things to obey, obey the law, do this, do that, we will fail miserably, which means ultimately we're going to come back to the realization that we need the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why he came. So we're dead to the law. And Paul is explaining this to us as far as this representing this principle of a way that we're to live or our standing before God. It's easier, honestly, sometimes for us to to kind of check off the task list, which is why some of us, I'm a type A person, kind of migrate in that area. And I like to sometimes get, you get confused where you start thinking, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased by you because I do all these things. Church, let me just share you. The only reason God is pleased with you is if you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ. He will be no more pleased with you if you achieve all these things for him than if you don't achieve those things for him. Because it all hinges, and we sung about it, it all hinges on the grace of God. Grace, grace, greater than all of our sin. And so what does it mean to be dead? Think about it for a minute. I know it's not a, I know it's not a happy thought, okay? I know it's not. But I want you to think about it just for a second. All of us in this room will physically, one day, not be here. Physically, on this earth. I start thinking about that, and wow, man, that's, my mind could go a lot of different directions. A dead person cannot do anything. And the reason that Paul, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, keeps talking about this is he's trying to get the people he's writing to, the church at Rome and the church in America perhaps, to realize When you die to Jesus, you cannot do anything. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say in his other letters, when you die to sin and you become alive in Jesus, Jesus is your boss. The reality is, I do not own myself anymore. I have been bought with a price. I belong to Jesus. Any decision that I want to make, I should be running by my boss, who is Jesus. Because I'm dead to the law and I'm dead... To sin. And when you think about being a dead person, I can't do anything. You and I cannot do anything apart from Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, for when we were in the flesh, he says, verse 5, these sinful passions arise. He's talking about we didn't bear fruit. These these. These sinful things arouse, it says, we, the, the law aroused the passions of sin within us. Think about this. Here's a couple of questions for you. Why does sin pull at us? Sin pulls at us because as a child of God, the Bible tells us, especially in Ephesians, when we went through the book of Ephesians together, we are in a battle. Hello? It's so easy for us, and you look around our country, folks, the reason our country is the way it is, the reason our society is the way it is, is largely because most believers have laid down like a dead fish in the water and allowed the current of culture to carry us wherever we want to go instead of fighting upstream through the power of the Holy Spirit. And sin is pulling at us. It's enticing us. But he says to us in that verse, another so that, which is the second point I want to make this morning, is... We are to serve in the way of the Spirit. He says this at the end of that verse, verse 6. You're released from the law. You're dead to that which had bound you so that you can serve in the newness of the Spirit. 
That's very, very important. Because we died with Jesus at Calvary, we're dead to the law, but we're not just dead to the law, we're delivered to be able to serve in the Spirit. This chapter sounds very negative, and it is, but it's also very positive. We're dead to sin, we're dead to the law, but guess what? Because we're dead to sin and dead to the law, we can be empowered to serve and move in the Spirit in the direction to grow in God. That's called sanctification. We've been talking about it. So that's the good news. The good news is we can't do that till we die to self. And when we die to self and we die to sin and die to the law through the power of the Spirit, we can then be moved to serve God. And it produces fruit that is legitimate and worthwhile and not fruit that comes from just checking off boxes. It reminds me of Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. He basically said, I don't live anymore. I'm dead. Therefore, I no longer live but Christ who lives in me. So the law can't justify us. It does not make us right with God. The law can't sanctify us. It doesn't take us deeper into our relationship with God. So what does? What does? The Holy Spirit of God. So here's the question I wrote down for myself. Jack, how well do you serve in the newness of the Spirit? Churches, most of our service just because, oh, I got to. Somebody's expecting me to. Oh, that's what a Christian does. Check, check, check. Or do we serve out of delight through the power of the Spirit? Here's how you know. Here's how you know. And I haven't learned this. I am learning this. I have not learned, learned, it learned. Any English teachers in? I have not learned it yet. I am learning it. When I get physically, mentally, and emotionally worn out in my spiritual walk, 100% money back guarantee I'm trying to do it without the Spirit. When I feel like I'm thriving and I'm excited and I'm moving forward and going and going, then I'm relying on the Spirit of God. Most times that's a pretty accurate test. And equally, we can serve sin or we can serve legalism, checking off the boxes, with more devotion, believe it or not, than we can serving God through the Spirit. And Paul is trying to get them to realize this because there's people in that culture who were doing everything and checking the boxes and they were the religious people, but they were not empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Church family, I want us, I want us me, you, to understand this so much because the world is going to get harder. Being a Christian is going to get harder. Following Jesus is going to get harder. And the reason some people are just going to bail out on their faith and walk away is because they've been trying to serve a checklist and trying to serve a a Savior. And we've got to serve the Savior, not a checklist. The good news about this chapter is Paul's trying to say, get set free from doing the law and serve the Savior. Serve Jesus, because that's where the Spirit is. So you may be like me, I'm reading all this and I'm thinking, well, Paul, if all this is good news, then why do you keep bringing up the law? Why do you keep bringing this up? And it brings us to the third point. He's bringing up the law because the law will expose our sin every single time. The law reminds us, it exposes our sinful nature. Here's what he says. He says, what shall we say then about this law? Is the law sin? Verse 7, may it never be. On the contrary... I would have not come to know sin except through the law. I would have not known about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet, but sin. Verse 8, taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. 
For apart from the law, sin is dead. And I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me, for sin taking opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. What is he saying? He's saying this, sin corrupts the law. Some of you may remember this, some of you may have read about this, but in American history, we know that the Prohibition Act did not stop drinking. In many ways, it made drinking more attractive to people because of their desire to break boundaries. It's just like the speed limit. For some of us, you see the speed limit sign out there, and what does it make you want to do? Break the speed limit. Because you see something telling you, don't do that. It's much like when you were a kid, when your mom had said, don't, don't t- put your hand close to the oven. Don't put your close, hand close to the burner. You'll get burned. And what did all of us do? I mean, it made us want to do it, right? That's the way we are wired, unfortunately, before we know Jesus. And even sometimes we have that battle after we know Jesus, which Paul's going to mention in a minute. It reminds us of this law that is in our society that we need to understand is a, is a lie. And the lie is this. Man is basically good. If you hear that from somebody, you need to run in the other direction because that's a false prophet. That's a lie. That's not what God's Word tells us. God's Word tells us that man is basically wicked, which is why we have need of a Savior. And so he says in these verses, he talks about, he keeps mentioning this word, opportunity to sin. This opportunity that he's talking about is a military word. It means a base of operations where he says in verse 11, for sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. In other words, sin took an opportunity. Sin came in and set up a base camp in his life to be able to try to do things in his life to take him away from what God wanted for him. That's what sin does, by the way. That's what sin does. There's a waterfront hotel in Florida. They built this new hotel on the waterfront. They were very concerned that people might try to fish from the balconies. So what did they do? They put up signs. And the sign says, no fishing from the balcony. And they had constant problems with people starting to fish from the balconies. And they were throwing their lines in. And sinker weights were coming back and breaking windows. And all these kind of things bothering people in the rooms on the lower floors. And they finally solved the problem by what? What did they do? They took down the no fishing signs. And nobody thought to fish from the balconies. True story. Here's what's interesting. Because of your fallen nature, because of my fallen nature, what happens is the law can sometimes actually work as an invitation for us to sin. Because it's a reminder of a boundary God has put into place. And because of our wicked nature, we go, oh, I want to cross that line. I want to cross that line. And so it pushes us this way, which tells us we can never, ever live by the law. And it reminds us that The law will always expose our sin. How does sin do that? Sin does that by the word that he uses there in verse 11. He was deceived. Sin does this by deception. Sin deceives us. I've asked this question before looking at another chapter in God's word. I'll ask it again. How do you know? How do I know? How do we know that we're being deceived? 
We don't. That's why it's called deception. The only way that you and I can know that we've been deceived is something outside of us has to bring revelation to our lives and point out the fact that we're being deceived. And in this case, Paul is saying the Spirit of God, the grace of God, is what reminds him. Something outside of him reminds him that he's being deceived. Because sin is an interesting thing, isn't it? Sin falsely promises satisfaction. It'll falsely claim an adequate excuse. It'll falsely promise an escape from punishment. The law is expo- will expose and magnify sin. And Paul knew this. And just so you know, before you and I put up one of the, one of the guys in the New Testament that wrote most of the New Testament, before we lift him up on a pedestal and think he was all that and he never struggled, he's getting ready to just give you several verses to basically say, which is the next point, the struggle is real. Here's what he says to us to remind us he is a human being. He says, for we know the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For that which I'm doing, I don't understand. I'm not practicing what I want to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. And if I do the very thing I do do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh, for the wishing is present in me. But the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish I don't do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish to do. Anybody in the room feel like that? Yes, I do every day of the week. If you don't, you must already be dead. The struggle is real. Until we leave this earth, the struggle will always be real. Yes, we are saved from the penalty of sin because we know Jesus. But we will never be saved from the presence of sin until we go to be with Jesus forever. We live in a sinful world. And it's always going to be pulling at us. And even more so if you're a person striving to live in holiness and to grow for God. If you don't feel the struggle, you need to ask yourself the question, am I... The passive fish in the river that I'm just letting the world carry me wherever it wants to go. Folks, I'll tell you, it's a struggle. It's going to get harder. Because the world's getting messier. And Paul says, basically, he just just admits it. (laughs) I love it. Some translations say this in verse 14. He basically says, I'm a carnal man. And if you read that, first time I read it, I'm thinking, how can you be a carnal man? You're a child of God. You put your faith in Jesus. You changed from Saul to Paul. I mean, you're the guy who's written most of the New Testament, and yet you're telling me you're a carnal man? Yeah, he is. Carnal simply means of the flesh. Sarkaikos, it's a Greek word that means characterized by the flesh. Paul sees this carnal reality in himself and yet he knows the law and he's saying he's carnal it doesn't mean he's not a christian he is aware that there is a battle going on are you and i aware there's a battle going on i was talking to a friend of mine this past week he was working a job he told me a few months ago he said my employer came in and asked me to do something that was unethical i said what did you say Everybody needs a job in this culture, right? He said, I told him I couldn't do that. I said, well, what did he say? He said, well, you can do it or you can find a new job. I said, so what did you do? He said, you got any job openings? <laughs> it's 
hard. It's hard in the workplace. It's hard at home. It's hard at school. It's hard in church environment. Why is it hard? It's hard because there is an enemy roaring about, prowling about, the Bible says, seeking whom he may devour. That's why it's hard. It's interesting. Luther said this about carnality. He says this about what Paul says there. He says, this is the proof of the spiritual and the wise man. Paul knows he is carnal. He is displeased with himself. He hates himself but praises the law of God, which he recognizes because he is also spiritual. But then he says this, but the proof of a foolish carnal man is this, that he will regard himself as spiritual and be pleased with himself. Folks, I'm just, be honest, be vulnerable this morning. I'm not pleased with myself. I screw up every day of the week. Say things I shouldn't say every day of the week. Do things I shouldn't do every day of the week. And so do you. But the difference, the writer, the commentator says in somebody who is wise and somebody who's not wise, somebody is wise who recognizes the fact that until we get on the other side, we're going to have this war within us, the struggle is going to be there, and we recognize that there's only one thing that pleases the heart of God when he looks down upon those of us who claim to know him and we put our trust in him. He sees the blood of Christ which covers us and God sees us as holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And you may be here this morning thinking about your last week going, if only God knew what I did. He does. And you know what? He still loves you. And if he had it to go over again, he would have died on the cross for you a second time, but he doesn't have to do it again because he already did it. He loves you. He loves you. Not because of what you have done or how good you can be. He loves you. And the problem with me sometimes and maybe you sometimes, is I forget that I'm carnal and I'm still tainted because of sin. And outside of me running away, being dead to sin, dead to the law, and running toward Jesus, running toward the Father, I'll never be able to make it through this life. And so Paul expresses how he feels. He's feeling, he's feeling hopeless. I mean, he's talking about this. Why can't he live the way he wants to? He's trying to do what he wants to do, but he doesn't do what he wants to do. I started thinking about this week. His problem isn't a lack of desire because he, he, he surely says right there, I'm trying to do this. I'm tr-. He has a desire to please God. Most of us in this room probably have a desire to please God, so that's not the problem. His problem isn't knowledge. He says, I know the right thing to do, and yet I'm not doing the right thing. So his problem is not that he doesn't know God's word. Most of us in here, myself included, it's, it's not that we don't have the knowledge. We know what God's word says. Let me tell you what the problem is according to this chapter. The problem is a lack of power. The problem is how do I perform what is good? The way that we do it is through the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God, not in my strength. I cannot do it in and of myself. I have to depend upon the strength, the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the law says this. Here are the rules. and You better keep those. Are you living that way today? It's not the way we're supposed to live. Because if you don't get one of those, 
And all of a sudden you start living in fear. God's going God's to do this to me. Or God's going to cause this to happen. Or he's going to cause me to get a disease. Or he's going to cause this relationship to fall apart. Or he, he's going to cause my finances to implode because I haven't checked every checkbox. I don't know about you, but I don't want to serve a God like that. But when you realize that the God of all creation gave us grace and love and loves us, period. Let that sink in. He loves you, period. No conditions. None. If you're a child of God, He loves you. So Paul's not denying his responsibility. He's owning up to his own sin. But he's just saying, hey, there's this battle that's going on, so what do we do? What do we do, church? What are we going to do this afternoon, Monday, tomorrow, at school, at work? How are we going to get through this life? Paul actually cries out and says... It says, what am I going to do? Verse 24, oh, wretched man, what am I going to do? Who is going to set me free from this body of death? Great question. Great question because he, he doesn't ask this question. How am I going to solve this problem? He realizes something outside of himself is going to have to do it. So he says, and by the way, wretched, the literal meaning of wretched in that verse means to be exhausted from physical labor. In other words, trying to do it ourselves. So he says the right question, great question out of desperation. Who will deliver me? His perspective finally turns to something outside of himself. It's interesting. If you want to go back, a little home, homework assignment this afternoon, go back and reread Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and you'll find out something interesting. I didn't know this. Commentaries and studying help. But in those first six chapters of Romans, Paul refers to himself 40 times. He talks about his unsuccessful struggle against sin. He becomes self-focused, self-obsessed. Uh, and then he finally gets to this verse and he turns his attention off of self. What can I do to, oh, what a wretched man I am. Who can help me? And we know who it is. Because he says in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. So that, he says, on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, I'm serving the law of God. But on the other, the flesh, the law of sin, I'm still double-minded. I'm still in the struggle. But thanks be to God who can deliver this wretched man. Paul shows that even though the law is there for a reason, it can't save us. We need a Savior. Here's what's interesting to me. The problem is I don't, it's not that I don't know what to do to save myself. Because the law tells me. The law teaches me. I don't need a teacher, I need a savior. The problem is not that I haven't been motivated enough because the law can serve us like a coach and encourage us to do what we're supposed to do even though we don't, but I don't need a coach or a motivational speaker, I need a savior. The problem was not that I don't know myself well enough because I know very well myself and I am a mess up and I make mistakes. So the law can kind of show me that I'm a mess up. It can be almost like a doctor and say, here's your problems, here's your things that are going on. But I don't really need a doctor because the law can't heal me. I need a savior, not a doctor. And that's what we all need. I was trying to think of an illustration that would kind of sum up this chapter. And this, this is not adequate, but it's the best I could come up with this week. I remember... 
when Will was little, our son, and he was trying his hardest to open up a bag of potato chips. And he had the potato chips. They were in his possession. They were his potato chips. We had given him this little bag of potato chips, but he was struggling. I don't know if he was four or five years old. And he's trying to get the potato chips open so that he can have access to what's inside. And he's struggling. He had them. They were his potato chips. And I remember walking over to him saying, Bud, get, get, if you'll give me the bag, I'll open it up. Now, I know what he thought. I know what he thought. He, he, he'd been living with me for four years already. I know what he thought. He thought, if I give him the bag of potato chips, he's going to eat my bag of potato chips. And okay, he probably could, could have evidence from past that I probably would have done that. But I wasn't going to do that this time. Finally, he releases the bag of potato chips. And what do I do? I just go, and hand it right back to him. And some of us are... Spiritually, trying to open up our bag of potato chips to have access to what's inside. And all we've got to do is turn it over to God and say, God, you have the power to release what I need to live the Christian life. I don't have it within myself. But you do. And here's what's interesting. All of us maybe even have, most of us in this room probably already have in our possession the bag of potato chips. And some days I give it to the Lord and say, you rip it open so I can have access to what's inside. And some days I'm stubborn and I go, no, 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 Lord. I will figure out how to open this bag by myself. Maybe I'm the only one who does that. The good news of this chapter, church, is you and I don't have to live toward the law or for the law anymore. We have a Savior who loves us. He loves you no no matter your past, no matter your present. He loves you. Would you pray with me? He is the deliverer. Father, thank you, Jesus, that you are the deliverer. It's so easy in our culture. It's so easy even in church life. It's so easy even as as a pastor, as a leader, to get caught into that trap of just checking off boxes. Every other sphere of our world operates that way. That's why we're confused. But that's what's different about knowing you, Jesus. Lord, I remember in my own life, you need to take me back to that spot, maybe for other friends in this room. Well, when I first fell in love with my wife, there, was, there were no check boxes. <laughs> It was all about relationship and joy and love. Would you take us back to that, Lord? Would you take the friends in this room, for every one of us that know you, would you take us back to that place? Set us free from trying to live according to checking the boxes, because we can't do it. We can't do it. We're going to get worn out. If there's ever a day and age we don't need to be spiritually worn out, it's right now because there is a battle going on. We need to be charged up, revved up, ready. So would you help us today? I pray right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you'd speak to hearts all over this congregation. Lord, you know these friends in here much better than I do. You know every circumstance. So I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would ask each of us. Just ask each of us today, Lord, what do we need to do to surrender to you? Church, while you're praying right there where you are, 
I just want to ask you to do business with the Lord today. Maybe this morning as you're praying, the Lord is reminding you that He loves you just the way you are. He doesn't want you to stay the way that you are. He doesn't want me to stay the way that I am. He wants us to grow. But He loves you just the way that you are. For the invitation this morning, I wonder if maybe whatever, as, as many people as there are in this room, there's probably that many different decisions or different things we need to say to the Lord. So I just want to invite you right there where you are in your seat this morning. If you need to do business with the Lord, just feel free to stand to your feet and offer a prayer and say, God, here's, here's what I need today. God, here's what I'm surrendering you today. God, I've been trying to do this in my own strength. I'm worn out. I surrender. If you need to do business with the Lord, will you just do that right now, right there in your seat? If you need to stand and offer up a prayer to the Lord. He loves you. No judgment, no condemnation. His grace is for you. For every person in this room, you may feel inadequate, unworthy. doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't change the fact of what God's Word says. His grace is is for you today. Maybe you just need to stand and accept that grace and say, thank you, Jesus, for the grace that's greater than my sin. You're thankful for that grace. In just a moment, we're going to stand together, sing a chorus for our closing hymn and our closing song. I'm going to ask my friend Heath and Stephen to come stand here. Maybe this morning you need somebody to pray with you. We're happy to do that. Maybe you need to recommit your life, or maybe you slipped in and you're, it's your first time here and you'd love to become a part of this church. I would tell you there's no better church I know of. Maybe you need to come pray. Whatever you need to do this morning. As we stand in just a moment and sing, maybe with our voices we can just tell God how grateful we are for that grace and for His goodness because it's His goodness. It's His goodness that drives us to live for Him. Not our duty. Hopefully our delight, our delight in a Savior. that gave everything He could. He gave the most precious gift that He could for us, the gift of His Son. Father, thank you for that gift. This morning, I pray as we sing in just a moment that it just be a small expression of our thanks to how grateful we are for your goodness in our lives. There's nothing good within me except for the grace and the goodness that Jesus has put in there. So thank you for that. Thank you for what you're doing in our church. Thank you for what you're doing in me, God. We love you and we thank you for who you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me and let's sing this song together. If you need to pray with someone or make some decision, feel free to come grab one of us as we pray. Your goodness is running after. It's running after. 
Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're so glad that you joined us for the message today. If Pastor Jack or any of our team can serve you, please reach out to us. You can send us an email at jack at hope at crossroads.org or by visiting our website. We would be most grateful to know where you are listening because we have people all over the world listening to our podcast. You can send us a message through our website. We would appreciate your prayers for us as we are in the midst of a building campaign to reach more children and families in our local community in Greenville County, South Carolina. If you would like to help, you can always make your gift online at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads.